millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis, aka crumbly joints. On the show, we unpack the truth and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you've come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Joint Action. And this week we have the privilege of discussing how does exercise help? And we're joined by none other than Professor Kim Bunnell. And Kim is a research physiotherapist, and her current positions include a professor and director of Center for Health and Exercise and Sports Medicine at the University of Melbourne, and principal research fellow and director of Center of Research Excellence in Translational Research in Musculoskeletal Pain. And she leads a multidisciplinary team that includes physios, uh, doctors, exercise scientists, podiatrists, and psychologists. And the research focuses on conservative non-drug management of musculoskeletal conditions, particularly osteoarthritis, with an emphasis on the role of exercise in both prevention and management. And Kim's a wonderful person, a great physiotherapist, and one of the world's leading osteoarthritis uh, researchers. And she finds that all quite amusing. So Kim, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome, David. Just learning a little bit more about you, but if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? Oh, that's a tricky one. A mum, I'd say hardworking, busy, very family oriented, and probably, I think I'm empathetic, compassion. That's probably a few more than five. No, that's bang on five. So thank you for sharing that with us. And can you just tell me a little bit more about your role professionally and then I might come back to what you do outside of that day job. 
Yes, so as you said, I'm a research physiotherapist and I've been at the University of Melbourne for 25 years, so quite a long time. And my role there is to lead a research team, as you said, of different disciplines, people representing different disciplines. And we've been really focused on looking at ways in which we can manage musculoskeletal conditions, particularly osteoarthritis. And obviously being a physiotherapist, our focus has been on non-drug strategies such as exercise. So I spend a lot of my time writing manuscripts, papers, journals, preparing ethics applications for research projects, having meetings with collaborators, writing grant applications to get funding for the projects, meeting with team members, going to conferences. So there's a lot of very interesting parts um, of my job, very varied. Fantastic. And when you're not doing your day job as an Aussie rules footballer, what, what do you like to do? Right, well, I like to do a lot with the kids. Uh, they're still young growing up, so they keep me busy, but I like to garden. I've got 10 acres, so that is a lot of garden to maintain. I like to keep fit and uh, run, read, and pre-COVID, I like to do travel. Obviously, that's off the, the near horizon. Yeah, that's a little bit off limits, but, you know, you're obviously a great mum. But how are the cows? <laughs> I do have some cows. David was very concerned that I wasn't, you know, giving them the love and attention they needed, but they're doing very well, thank you. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right, so getting to today's theme of how does exercise help, from a mechanistic and very as simplistic as possible, how does exercise help someone with osteoarthritis? That's actually a good question because we know that it helps, but in actual fact, how it actually works is not you know, really known clearly. Um, there's a lot of possible suggestions as to how it might work. One of the ways is that it increases your muscle strength. So by increasing your muscle strength, you increase the support around the joint, make it more stable. People have also suggested that you increase your range of motion, become more flexible, and that can help with improving pain and function. There's also inflammatory factors that it could be good for reducing some inflammation in the joint. And also our pain pathways. So the way that pain is experienced in the brain, that exercise can influence that either sort of locally at the joint or further up in the brain can, can have a positive effect on pain pathways. And I suppose the other way as well is sort of psychological factors where it can be really good for your well-being, your, your feelings, your mental health. And so from that perspective as well can reduce pain and improve people's function. Great explanation. And if one did have osteoarthritis, what are the benefits of exercising? Well, there's numerous benefits for exercise. Obviously, reducing pain uh, is a big one and improving people's ability to function, you know, to walk and go up and down stairs and get up and down from a chair. So they are, you know, really key functions uh, and benefits, but also uh, improving people's quality of life. People report having a better quality of life. And there's a whole range of other benefits as well. A lot of people who uh, have osteoarthritis also carry a little bit of extra weight, so it can help with them losing weight and then maintaining their weight at a healthy weight range. Falls risk, people can also be at increased risk of falling, so it can help reduce falls. It can improve your sort of cardiovascular health and reduce your risk of you know, heart disease and, and heart attacks and all other conditions. It can help, as I said, with your mental health. So a whole range of benefits, uh, not just at the, at the knee, but benefits for you know, the, the whole person. Just imagine you could put that in a pill. Wouldn't that be great? 
uh, we should be able to do that. Hopefully that's, yeah, exactly. Exercise is medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Now, does it have any effect on the disease itself on a person's risk of developing it or on, on the rapidity of which the disease progresses structurally? Yes. So that is another good question. So oftentimes people think that what they see inside the joint, the structure that exercise, you know, might be damaging to the knee joint, but really the evidence doesn't show that to be the case. So it doesn't increase one's risk of getting the condition. And in fact, probably can reduce your risk if you keep your weight down and so forth. So it can have some benefits there. But if you do already have osteoarthritis, if you exercise, the studies don't show that there is any negative effect on the actual joint structure. It doesn't necessarily change the joint structure, you know, reduce what you see perhaps on an x-ray, but it doesn't make it worse. And I think that's really important to point out because we know that what the person feels in terms of pain and their function doesn't actually relate to what you see on, on an x-ray. So this exercise thing, it sounds great, but are there particular types of exercise that are better than others? Again, the research has shown that a lot of forms of exercise can be equally effective. So there's benefits from strengthening exercise, there's benefits from aerobic exercise, such as walking or cycling, there's benefits from Tai Chi, yoga, water-based exercise. So there's a whole range of different types of exercise that people can get benefits from. And so I suppose what it comes down to is that this means people can choose exercises that they like to do, because what's really important is that people stick with an exercise program. So choosing something that people like and that they can do is really important. And, you know, going with what they prefer. There's no point doing water-based exercise if you really don't like to go to the, you know, to a pool and, and, and do that. So I think another thing is having variety. So choosing a variety of different forms of exercise will be good to get all of those health benefits, but also will help with, you know, you don't get bored. I mean, for a lot of people in the general community, there's a fascination about building muscle and, you know, flexing in front of mirrors. Is it sufficient to be strong? Are there other benefits of improving muscle? Yes, so certainly, particularly as we get older, we know that muscle strength does deteriorate. So over the age of 50, I'm in that category now, it's important to, to do strength training, to build up the strength of the muscle, because we know that that, that does reduce. But other, as you've pointed out, there are other aspects of muscle function. So endurance, not just how much weight you can lift, but also muscle endurance, how fast you can contract the muscle. So if you were going to have to quickly speed up across the road because there's a car coming, that requires the muscles to act really quickly. So all of those are important as well as, as just pure strength. And what about exercise for flexibility and aerobic or cardiovascular type exercise? Is that any benefit there? The studies haven't necessarily looked at stretching exercise on its own because generally people will do stretching exercise in combination with other forms of exercise. But stretching exercise can be you know, useful as we get older, we get stiffer. And then with people that have osteoarthritis, their, their joint is often stiffer. So doing some stretching exercise is good to try and improve or maintain the range of motion of the joint. So that is important. But I'd encourage people to do the stretching with other forms of exercise like strengthening. As you said, aerobic exercise is also good uh, because that gets the benefits that you're gonna get for your heart and your lungs. So you know, 
getting out walking, getting you know, some moderate intensity exercise where you're getting a little bit, you can still hold a conversation, but you know that your heart and lungs are working is, is really important as well for, for all those other health benefits. So digging into that a little bit further and thinking about the, the various functions of the muscle themselves, obviously one is, one is strength, another is about how well you activate or contract the muscle, another is obviously potentially around the joint position and, and body sense and balance. Which of those is most important, if any? I don't think it's like a most important. I think all of them are important and all of them have different roles. So I wouldn't say, well, you should do this and not that. But it does come down to the individual. And, you know, if um, you go and see an exercise specialist, such as a physio, they can look and see which might be the one that's lacking the most. So someone might be, if you had a look at some of those bodybuilders, they may have huge muscles and they might be really strong but you look at them and their endurance is not very good at all. So, you know, they might then need to work on endurance. So I think it comes down to the individual and some people may have deficits more in one aspect than another. So it's around individualising the program and the exercise to really suit the person and not just their preferences, as I mentioned before, but also probably what's needed best for them. Great. And obviously osteoarthritis affects different joints throughout the body. Does exercise work equally well across all joints for osteoarthritis, hands, hips, knees? Most of the evidence has been looking at the knee, but we do have good evidence to show that exercise is effective at the knee, particularly also at the hip. At the hand, the evidence is probably less there and probably the, would suggest that exercise is less effective at the hand than it is at the other joints. Having said that, still obviously important to keep your range of motion and strength going but uh, the benefits certainly haven't been as great, if you like, at the hand. So the hand is a joint that we still need to do a lot more work in terms of coming up with more effective treatments. Yeah, and so I think it's really helpful to just dig in a little bit further in terms of what types and how a person might exercise. A couple of descriptors that are used for different types of exercise are concentric and eccentric can you just explain the difference between those two and if a person needed to choose one which would be preferential yes so that refers to how the muscle is contracting so let's for example say we're going to go upstairs and downstairs if we go upstairs we're using our thigh muscles at the front and the muscles are working what we call concentrically that is they're getting shorter as they contract when we go downstairs we're also still using our thigh muscles at the front, but this time the muscles are lengthening or getting longer. And so that's called an eccentric contraction. So they're just different ways that the muscle is working and both are, are good. Oftentimes people emphasize as well that eccentric control or when you're going down the stairs, obviously there's a lot more around controlling the muscle uh, and the body as you move. Also with eccentric contraction, you might find if you do more of that when you start doing that form of exercise, you get some what we call delayed onset muscle soreness or DOMS. And that's much more common when you're doing activity or exercise that has that um, muscle working in an eccentric way. Now, obviously, if you're starting from a completely sedentary lifestyle, you're not going to go straight from a, a zero to 100 miles an hour in the first go. But if someone were to want to exercise, what type of dose, duration, intensity should they ultimately be aiming for? Yes, yeah, so whenever you're starting something new, it's important to sort of 
build up, as you said, um, and increase in small amounts. And to recognise that it is, you are going to probably have some muscle soreness. Uh, that means that you are working, so that's a, a good thing. I think the other thing is that you will notice some joint pain when you exercise to start with, with osteoarthritis. And again, to note that that is normal, that it's normal to feel some discomfort or some pain around in the joint when you start, but that that will decrease over time as you do it. In terms of the actual dosage, the dosage is different depending on what you're trying to achieve. So the dosage that you do with a stretching program would be different from a, a strengthening program. And even within strengthening programs, if you're trying to build up, for example, muscle strength as opposed to muscle endurance, you'd be lifting heavier weights and doing less of them. Whereas if you were wanting to get muscle endurance, you'd be using lighter weights and doing more of them. So there's not a simple answer as to what dosage would you do. It does depend on what you're trying to achieve. But nevertheless, if you're going to exercise and start off, you really need to do it regularly. So you need to do it you know, at least three times a week. So three times a week is a good starting point. And then if you're going to start with some strengthening, you'd start with a couple of exercises first. You might start with just three exercises to begin with. And you would start with a lighter weight so that you're getting the, the hang of the technique and then over time, you would build up the amount of weight. So for example, you might aim to do 10 lots with a weight, and then you might start off with one set of those 10 to start with, and then the next week you might build up to two sets of 10, and then you may build up to three sets of 10, and you can build up the weight as well. In terms of walking, again, you'd set yourself a goal, and then you know just try and do a little bit more each time. Superb. So you spoke about the importance of assessing to see where the deficiencies might be and individualising the exercise prescription. What types of health professionals are out there that can help a patient who has osteoarthritis with that type of process? So exercise specialists are people like physiotherapists or exercise physiologists and in complex cases, sports and exercise physicians as well. But going to see someone like a physiotherapist or an exercise physiologist, they can help design a program that suits you. So particularly if people really haven't had a lot of experience with exercise before, helping them to, as you said, come up with what is the dosage that would be good to start with and how might they progress that. And I think that is important for someone to get that supervision as well, to know what they're doing and are they doing it correctly so that they don't you know, end up giving themselves an injury um, or doing too much. And, you know, for the average person out there that has osteoarthritis, how frequently should they see a physiotherapist, a physical therapist? And are there any parts of what a physiotherapist might do that you would actively discourage in terms of clinical practice? Sure. I mean, there's no magic number of how many times, but I think having some supervision initially is a really good idea. But ultimately, the person needs to manage the condition themselves and they're the best one to do that because they're the expert in, in their condition. So the physiotherapist should be working with the patient to help them come up with a, a home program, a program that they can do themselves and they can continue that indefinitely. And so, you know, perhaps seeing them you know, once a week to start with and, and then reducing it. Sometimes people might do a group class where they'll go in a, in a group setting and they might do that twice a week for an initial six-week period or eight-week period and then they'll do their own exercise program. Booster sessions are also a good idea so that do some perhaps initial supervision 
then you do your home exercise and then you might come back in at three months or um, six months to just have a session to see how you're going to progress the exercise. Care that would not be recommended would be having machines put on you, machines that are doing ultrasound or those sort of machines. They're not really the key treatments that we're recommending for osteoarthritis. So really what are the key treatments are, as we're talking about, it's exercise, it's helping the person come up with other pain or teaching them other pain management strategies that they can do. And as well as if they need to, to lose some weight, weight loss and, and giving them the skills and the resources to help them manage their condition. Great, great. And what wasn't I smart enough to ask you about that I should have? Two things, I think. One, I think, is really, and we touched on it a little bit, but I think it's around the misperceptions of exercise. What do people believe that we know is actually not based on fact? And sometimes you get these misperceptions or or myths that are going around. And I think sometimes people, they think, oh, I've got bone on bone and my knee's worn out, for example, and I'm going to have to go and have a joint replacement and there's nothing I can do. And that's not the case. There is lots of things and lots of treatments that are shown to be effective, like exercise. It's not inevitable that people are going to progress and only about a third of people will show progression. And also we know that exercise is not damaging for the joint because some people believe that exercise isn't good for the joint because they can look at an x-ray and so they think that that's not going to be good to load the joint. But we know that the joint does need some loading and we know that exercise is effective. We know that it doesn't damage the joint. So I suppose it's those misperceptions. And the second thing I think I'd want to reinforce is that with any behaviour, and we're talking about doing exercise and doing it over the long term, we know that sticking with anything can be really, really difficult. And, you know, we have really good intentions, but we don't necessarily stick to those. And so adherence and looking at what are the barriers to someone exercising and what are the things that help them to exercise? What are the things that are getting in the way? What are the things that are helpful? And so that can then, if you start looking and thinking, what is it that's stopping me from exercising? Then you can come up with some strategies to help. And some of those strategies to help can be really setting some um, what we call SMART goals. So setting some goals that are going to be achievable and realistic and are, you know, small steps, keeping a record of what you're doing, um, getting some feedback, getting some social support. So getting a friend or a partner or family member to help reach your goals, problem solving uh, setting yourself some rewards, reminders. So all of those things I think are really, really important. I know, really, really helpful information. I think hopefully everybody gained a lot from that. Is there any additional patient-friendly resources that you'd like to recommend that might shed further light on this? Yes, I think that the patient organisations have some really good resources because I think it's important to get resources that have got evidence behind them because if you Google, you'll get a lot of information, but a lot of it is actually not... Uh, what we call evidence-based. And so resources from, for example, Arthritis Australia, My Joint Pain, they have an excellent website that can be personalised for you and give um, information and advice that's appropriate for the person's individual circumstances. Uh, Musculoskeletal Australia have a lot of good resources as well and and patient-friendly resources that they can use we have a online pain coping skills training program that can teach people around activity pacing called paintrainer.org that people can search for and that's free online so resources such as that i think are really great for people to to have a look at 
Great. And we'll include links to those in, in the show notes to go along with that. So what's the biggest challenge you have in your role right now? And how are you going to overcome that COVID virus aside? So you don't want to talk about the COVID virus impact, our biggest challenge? Or... You can. You can. <laughs> well, obviously, as yes, we're sitting here in self-isolation in our separate home offices. And obviously what COVID did from a research perspective is it means we had to stop a lot of our research projects because they involved face-to-face contact. So they've all been put on hold. All of our team are now working from home. But luckily, a lot of the research that we have been doing uh, in conjunction with you, David, as well, is research around telehealth. So delivery of care for patients with osteoarthritis via you know, video conferencing and online. And so that's been really good because we've been able to continue those. And I think it's really highlighted the value of these services as well for circumstances like this, but also people living uh, remotely. So I suppose one of the challenges has, has been that. Uh, other challenge not COVID related is getting enough funding for musculoskeletal research. Sometimes it's what well, it often is doesn't get the same amount of funding as other diseases like cancer and so forth and yet it is one of the biggest burdens and one of the most common causes of chronic pain and so forth and it costs the community a lot of money so I think from that perspective that's the challenge. Yeah I mean it's difficult times but hopefully we'll uh, we'll all get through this together but if you could do anything to improve health and healthcare, what would you do? I think you summed it up a bit earlier before you said, you know, if we could package up the exercise as a pill. Uh, and I think the, the way the healthcare system was set up was very much around sort of acute care, hospital settings and so forth. But really, a lot of what we're seeing now in our society in healthcare is, is chronic diseases. And if you look at the chronic diseases, basically the core recommended treatments include things like exercise and weight management because all of those those two factors, being inactive and being overweight and obese, are contributing to a whole raft of chronic conditions, not just osteoarthritis. So if healthcare could be shifted, where instead of funding the surgeries and all the drugs and opioids and, and so forth, if it could be shifted so that we could support people to exercise and support them to lose weight in ways that were accessible and effective and um, cost-effective as well and um, you know, that the patient could afford to, to have, so access across Australia, I think that would go a long way to dealing with the problem. How do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of things in your role? I collaborate with a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. And so I think that's a really good way to keep on learning because you align yourself and work with people from all different areas and that includes your learning from students, you're learning from patients who have the condition, you're learning from you know, people in different specialties and different backgrounds and disciplines. So that's a really good way. So I think it's that multidisciplinary collaborative team, which as you said, again, involves patients and, and stakeholders, involves health insurers and, and clinicians. So involving everyone, that's a really good way to learn. Also, I think conferences and so forth are really good ways to keep on top of the latest cutting-edge research as well from around the world. And unfortunately, our key osteoarthritis conference, which we would have been at this week uh, in Vienna, it had to be cancelled. But that, again, is you know, linking with people from around the world is a great way to, to keep on learning. 
yeah, those collaborations and networks can't be underestimated. And obviously a lot of, a lot of that is shifting online through um, those remote connections and Zoom. So if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Right now, I think the billboard would be thank you, Australia. And I think it would be thank you to our leaders who made the really tough decisions to you know, implement all the measures so that we deal with the pandemic. Thank you to all the healthcare professionals who have worked you know, and put their lives on the line to treat all the patients. Thank you to all the workers, the people in the supermarkets who have had to deal with you know, behaviour that hasn't been the best around toilet paper. And thank you, I think, to all of Australians who have, I think, done a um, you know, fantastic job in self-isolating and doing what we need to do to not end up like the States and not end up like some of the other European countries. So I think for me right now, I think that's why yeah. I feel. Yeah, and I think we're, we're incredibly fortunate to be in the position we are. And I, I really feel for a lot of our colleagues overseas who are really doing it pretty tough right now. And it looks like they're right in the thick of things and will be for will be for some time. But yeah, we've, we're incredibly fortunate to be in a country where we've managed to get those case numbers down and keep them down. Is there one piece of advice, knowledge or wisdom that you'd like to give in parting for patients with osteoarthritis? I think it's around hope. I think with anything you need to have hope that you can make a difference. And I think as I said before, it comes back a little bit to the sort of misperceptions and some of the myths that there's nothing that people can do once they've got osteoarthritis. You know, it's a downhill spiral and that's, you know, there's nothing they can do. And I suppose it's, I wanted to say that message is around hope and optimism that there are, you know, we've got good treatments out there. Things like exercise, weight management, uh, other strategies can be effective. And so try them and believe that they're going to work because we have the evidence to show that they're going to be effective. So that would be my sort of final message. And a great way, hopefully, to inspire the listeners who are out there. Kim, thank you so much for your insights, your wisdom, and spending some time with us today. No problem. Thanks for having me on your podcast. It's our pleasure. And that's all for this episode of Joint Action. Uh, Between now and next time, do take care of yourself, stay strong, and stay active. And thank you so much for listening. All the best. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.jointaction.info. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends and family. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.